Chris, Chris Brockway, I have the joy of uh, serving in the leadership of the church here at CBC as well. What fun. Look at it. No one knows where they're going. <laughs> the youth and kids work was supposed to be outside. It's going to be inside. Uh, it's going to be great fun. We're going to continue our little teaching series uh, this morning, which we've been embarking on over the last uh, two or three weeks or so, last couple of weeks. So this morning is uh, the third Sunday. And I want to begin by saying something very clearly to us this morning on our particular series. It's this. If you have ever felt ashamed or alone or abused, if you have ever felt unworthy, unwanted or uninvited, if you've ever felt like you're the lowest, the last or the least... From the very beginning of this message this morning, I want you to hear one of the greatest truths that there is in the gospel about Jesus. And it's this. Jesus invites the people who others in their superficiality and because of their overinflated sense of self-importance, Jesus invites the people who others would reject. Isn't that good news? If you hear nothing else this morning, would you please hear that capital T truth? Jesus invites those that manufactured religion despises. Jesus invites those that others overlook and look down their noses at. Jesus invites people who feel like they're not good enough to be part of his community. And I wonder if that describes you this morning, or maybe as you think back over your life, you can think at once for, in a particular season of my life, definitely uh, described me. And actually, let's face it, who hasn't at some point felt a bit like that in their journey of life. Would you know this morning that you are invited into the family of God because Jesus invites everyone, even and especially those people that hypocritical, pharisaical, judgmental types might reject. In the family of God, the imperfect are perfectly welcome. Well, as we join Jesus in our gospel stories again this morning, gospel meaning good news, of course, he's eating once again. And once again, he's eating in the company of controversial company. This time, he's in the company of the Pharisees, who were like middle-class people, well-to-do businessmen. They were the religious leaders uh, in the synagogues. Now, on the, the, the kind of the surface, on the superficial level, of course, it makes absolutely perfect sense, doesn't it, that Jesus would be eating with people like these men. Why? Because the Pharisees were the most outwardly pious, most visibly religious people that there were about. They looked perfect just as Jesus himself was perfect. Now, I want you to imagine the Pharisees for a moment. They went around wearing these flowing robes. They went about praying long, eloquent prayers. They had these kind of elaborate tassels on their clothing and elaborate cleansing ceremonies. These were the guys who walked around town floating six foot above contradiction, at least in public, that's how they behaved. They were impressive spiritually. And surely, if Jesus were God, which we believe he is, then he would be for the Pharisees and he would be for their level of perfection, wouldn't he? Well, of course, we know the answer is no. In fact, even just a quick reading of the scriptures reveals what Jesus thought about the Pharisees. Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs and like a brood of vipers. Jesus said, you Pharisees, you're like a family of snakes, men whose only concern is propagating their religious fashion show. Not exactly flattering language, is it? Here's a great line from Matthew 23 in the message. And if you know Matthew chapter 23, Jesus goes through and lists seven woes about the woeful Pharisees. 
And he says this, they love to sit at the head of the table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Any doctors or reverends amongst us this morning? Just raise your hand. Yes, thank you. Come on, Clive, stand up. Why not? Let's give Clive a round of applause. Reverend Dr. Clive, no less. Slightly patronizing round of applause at that. But don't these words brilliantly capture the context of the scripture reading I'm going to turn to in a second, where a prominent Pharisee is organizing a party. And Jesus has been invited to come to this party. Now, to make sense of the story, we have to understand the context through first century eyes. You see, a party that a Pharisee would call is nothing like the kind of parties that we would organize today. They wouldn't be barbecuing hot dogs and burgers. You are invited, by the way, afterwards. They wouldn't be listening to the latest worship songs from Christian celebrities, what they would do is they would gather the kind of who's who of religious and civic leaders and they would put on this great show talking about really weighty and really impressive things. If you like, it was a bit of a kind of public discussion where they would show off their individual and their combined wealth of knowledge. Imagine a peacock on full display. Look at me. Listen to me. Don't I just look absolutely wonderful? Now, more often than not, these conversations would happen in a place which was known as the outer room, which was always on the edge of the house, and almost certainly it would be surrounded by a porch. And they would meet, and they would dine, they would recline in this outer room with the doors fully open so that the common people, plebs like you and me, so that we could gather and outside so that we could listen to these Pharisees showing off. Now, maybe you're thinking what I'm thinking at this point. Well, that hardly sounds like a great night out, did it? Why on earth did people bother to go and listen to that nonsense? Well, here's why. It's because there was no internet. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no TV. There were no video games. There was no Wordle. There was no Sudoku. There was no Netflix. No one could sit around and binge watch Jerusalem's Got Talent or whatever the latest TV show was. You see, this was free first century entertainment. Very pretentious entertainment, but it was entertainment nonetheless. And in our scripture reading today, we're going to discover that Jesus goes to one of these dinner parties with a prominent, with a top leader of the Pharisees, and he accepts the invitation. Now, all in all, it's a very unpleasant occasion. It's full of treachery. It's full of self-seeking. It's not the kind of occasion I like to go to where there's lots of friendly banter and warm hospitality. In fact, as you'll hear in a moment, it was a very awkward situation. I wonder if you've ever been to a, an awkward dinner party. I've been to a few. And the opening verses of our scripture in Luke chapter 14 tell you everything that you need to know about Jesus. He was radical, he was well-connected, and he is watched. If you've got a Bible, turn with me. Luke chapter 14, then keep it open. We're, we're going to dip in and out. First four verses say this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and he sent him on his way. 
So the starter at this dinner party hasn't even been served. In fact, the guests haven't yet taken their seats. And a trap has been set for Jesus by these Pharisees. Somehow, even though this man would normally be thoroughly excluded from such a gathering, this really sick man with abnormal swelling in his body is there in their midst. Imagine somebody with sores and pus and agonizing pain, and you've probably got an appropriate picture in your mind. This man is in the company of the Pharisees. And it ought to leave us with a question, well, how on earth did that happen? Now, most Bible scholars agree that this man was probably a plant. He was a tool. He was just bait to try and trap Jesus into healing him on the Sabbath. He hardly uh, would be there by chance, it would seem to me, given the guest list of other important officials. And this situation tells you absolutely everything that you need to know about the utter lack of compassion of the Pharisees that they would take this poor, suffering man, that they would use him, that they would humiliate him for their own gain. But Jesus is so predictable. This man surely would not be overlooked by Jesus. And as we'll discover and have discovered, he wasn't. Now, we know from our text that this was a Sabbath day in some unnamed town in Israel. And I imagine that Jesus had probably been in one of the synagogues. He'd been teaching that day, as was his practice on the Sabbath. And the leader of that synagogue did what all good church leaders do when they have a visiting speaker. They invite them back to their house for dinner. Now, I'm not sure Jesus got invited because of the hospitality of it all. Jesus was being invited for the hostility of the moment. It seems that he was being invited so that some specific charge could be leveled against him so that these religious leaders could try and score some points against him. I mean, after all, you don't win a game if you don't score any points. But Jesus is not going to play their game, and he's certainly not going to play their game by their rules. Luke simply tells us in verse 1, they, the Pharisees, were watching him closely, watching his every move as he gathered with them. Now, I wonder if you can hear the silence as they all watch Jesus, as they look at the eyes of Jesus to see where he's looking in the room. Now, of course, the eyes of Jesus are fixed on the sight of this suffering man. The eyes of Jesus fixed on a suffering man with all the pomp and the ceremony and the pretense that's going on around them. Jesus' eyes full of compassion. The Pharisees' eyes looking knowingly at one another, knowing that their trap was working, But Jesus just could not resist the urge that he had that's hardwired into him to heal this man and to be compassionate. It's in the very nature of our God to be compassionate. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. He's rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion. He has compassion on all that he has made. So before healing the man, Jesus turns to these silent skeptics, and actually they had nothing to say, and in fact, I imagine they had nothing worth listening to either, and Jesus turns to them in their silence and says, am am I permitted to to heal this man on the Sabbath, verse 3? Now, what a great question to get a conversation started in that context. This was a, a touchy matter. Pharisaic traditions, their teachings clearly forbade any kind of healing on the Sabbath, even though the law of Moses never forbid such an act of compassion. I mean, why would it? So Jesus unceremoniously heals him, and then concerned for the humanity of the man, sends him on his way without any further reflection. 
The compassion of Jesus trumps established man-made religious protocols. And that's how it always works with Jesus, because Jesus will never, ever be locked into a box of human convention, and he's proving it here in this moment with the Pharisees. Now, with the man gone, Jesus goes on to ask a second question of the the Pharisees. Again, I imagine just trying to break the awkward silence that there is in the room. Now, if Jesus' first question was a matter of principle, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then his second question is a question of practice. It would be one thing, wouldn't it, for Jesus and his critics to to differ over a principle, but it was another thing altogether when these critics differed in in what they professed and demanded of others against what they practiced. So Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. He exposes their inconsistency with another great question. Jesus is full of great questions. Verse 5, imagine, he says, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull him out? Well, what was their response? Verse 6 says, and they had nothing to say. What a great verse of scripture. You can remember that. Luke chapter 14, verse 6, quote it to your spouse when they're annoying you. You have nothing to say. You can use it as code. Luke 14, verse 6. Their silence to Jesus' non-rhetorical question is condemning. The hands of their pointy fingers are absolutely filthy. Hypocrisy is the audacity to preach integrity from a den of corruption. What a great quote. I didn't write it. Hypocrisy is the audacity to preach integrity from a den of corruption. You see, no matter what these Pharisees taught and demanded of others, they, of course, made exceptions for themselves. Do as I say, do not do as I do. Well, this is quite some dinner party already, isn't it? There's still no sign of the starter. The silence still hasn't been broken. So Jesus goes on to share two parables, two small stories with a massive message. Two parables for the price of one. That's a special offer from Jesus. The first parable challenges the Pharisees who are busy jostling for position around the table and in life generally. I imagine at that youth event last night this was going on as they were all jostling to try and get a selfie with the archbish. (laughs) So what's going on in this moment? They're jostling for position and Jesus' first parable challenges that. And then he goes on to tell a second parable which develops the theme of the first parable which is questioning the absence of the lowest and the least at the dinner table. In the second parable, Jesus is saying, why is it Apart from the man who's just left, who you set up as a trap for me, why is it there's no one else of any insignificance here in this room? Let's read on, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. And then, humiliated, you'll have to take the seat of least importance. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, as Kay and then Jeannie opened up our scripture reading to us in these series, you'll already have discovered that the meal table in the day of Jesus played a very important role. It wasn't only a place where you came to eat, but actually it was a place where you discovered your standing in life and in society. If you like, the dinner table was one of the ways that society recognized social and religious pecking orders. And it was reflected in the place where you sat at the table. Imagine, as Jesus used the example, it works in our culture too, the example of a wedding. The closer you are to the bride and the groom, the more important you are. The nearer you get to the head of the table. Do you know my mother-in-law thought she could sit at the head of the table? It's bizarre. And here in Jesus' day, there are people there jockeying for position at the meal tables so that they could end up in the seat of honor. It was like a game of musical chairs, except there was no music. Now, can you imagine what Jesus witnessed as he arrived for this so far silent meal? Can you imagine the humorous antics uh, that were going on that Jesus observes as these different guests tried to find uh, their place as they used their well-rehearsed techniques to try and get the best seats? And then came the time to eat, and the guests would soon be seated, and everyone is just milling about, just happening to stand beside the the chair of greatest honor, whilst all the time the other Pharisees are kind of nudging you with their butt to try and get their butt on the best seat. Now, most people maneuver like this in a Baptist church on the back row. I've seen it happen. But Jesus sees it all, and he challenges it with this little parable with a massive challenge. Now, as I thought about this incident around the table, it's made me wonder, where did Jesus end up sitting at this dinner party? Where was Jesus? Was he there? Was he pushing and shoving to get a position next to the host, next to the archbishop? I hardly think so. While all the others were busy jockeying for position, Jesus, our Savior, is holding back. Jesus is watching, and then when he finally arrives at the table, there's only one place left, and it's the seat of lowest honor. It's the one in the corner. It's the one furthest away from all the important guests. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above every other name, assuming the position of Mr. Nobody. That's our Savior. And as I think about this, I think in one sense, well, how tragic that that should have happened to Jesus. And then another uh, thought is, well, actually, how appropriate given his calling. Do you remember the words from Philippians chapter 2? Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. It's the mindset of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of of a servant. Jesus tells them, actually, you should avoid seeking the place of honor because in doing so, you're actually setting yourself up for humiliation. Verse 11 again, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, as it always is with parables, Jesus wasn't just talking about the immediate situation that was happening in front of him, but two, he was making a bigger statement, an eternal kingdom of God application to anyone who had ears to hear. You see, here's the paradox. In the kingdom of Jesus, the way up is actually the way down. The way down is actually the way up. Those who wish to be honored must be humble and seek the lowly place. Humble yourself before God and he will exalt you, the scriptures say. 
Those who strive to attain the place of honor, honor will be humbled. If you strive to attain a place of honor, you will be humbled. Listen as we read on to those verses in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave to Jesus the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus became, became nothing, and in becoming nothing, he became the name that's above every other name. Well, from verse 12 in Luke chapter 14, just before launching into his second parable, which I want to encourage you to read when you get home. We don't really have time to, to look at it this morning. Jesus shares a few guidelines for deciding who a host should invite to a dinner party. Verse 12, he says this, and Jesus says to his host, to the host, not to the whole room, just to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. In other words, do not behave like all of these people are behaving in this room right now, and as you have behaved as host, because if you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, Remember the guy who's left? Invite people like him, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, what do the Pharisees think about this really good idea? Well, finally, somebody other than Jesus speaks at this dinner party. Verse 15, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet of God in the kingdom of God. What a blessing it will be to attend the great banquet that God is preparing for those who live rightly, who humble themselves, who are willing to choose Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In the second parable that Jesus shares in response, look at it later, he he speaks a word of warning to this man and those who are like him, and that's the big message from his little parable. And it's ever so simple. Don't allow your life choices or your excuses for following Jesus prevent you from experiencing all that God has prepared for you because it's a banquet and it is a feast and it's really worth being at. Jesus challenges these people in this parable by saying, would you please accept the invitation from God when it arrives on your doormat to attend? Jesus challenges here in our story the concern of the Pharisees over their position in the kingdom while it's never occurred to them that they should be concerned about their possession of the kingdom in the first place. These Pharisees weren't atheists, nor were they even necessarily great sinners, at least not in any kind of outward way, in the same way that the tax collectors or the prostitutes were, as, uh, as they would think about it. They were very religious people. In fact, they were leaders of their religion. They had absolutely no doubt about their salvation, but they were wrong because their salvation was based on everything except Jesus. Their salvation was based on their own sense of self-importance. Jesus' point in his parable is that is a very, very dangerous way to live your life. Their sense of security was very sincere, but actually it was sincerely wrong. Their salvation was self-earned and it was self-assured, and that's a very dangerous way to live with eternal consequences and Jesus in his second parable is saying look don't take the risk don't live in that kind of a way would you humble yourself so that God can exalt you 
Would you invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior so that there can be a way for you to be at the great banquet which you are invited to? As I close, I want to pause for just a moment and simply say this. And I sense some of us really just need to hear this this morning. Is that Jesus is still the key and always has been the key and always will be the key to my eternal salvation and to your eternal salvation. To try and find a way to be in right relationship with God in any other way other than Jesus is the wrong way. The only way you and I can experience eternity in heaven, permanently being eternally in relationship with God, to be at the banquet table, as our text symbolically portrays it this morning, is by receiving Jesus to be the Son of God, as God's King, as God's Saviour, to be my Saviour. And I want to ask you a question this morning. It's this, is do you know him? Do you know Jesus this morning as your saviour and your friend, your king? Do you know Jesus this morning as the name that is above every other name? Because there is no other way, and Jesus proves it with these Pharisees, that our salvation can be secure. In the gospel, these good news stories, God is declaring to you and me that there's an invitation. And the invitation is to come to dinner at God's house. The invitation is to be part of this body uh, of his that he's building, to be part of his family, to forever be at that table, to have our sins forgiven, to have his righteousness, to enjoy intimate fellowship with him. And I wonder if you've responded to the invitation that God is giving you today to come to the table. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, however broken and fallen you might feel that you are because... His grace is sufficient for you today. And he makes an invitation to say, come and sit at the table because it delights me. I wonder, do you know him this morning? Come to the feast. There is room at the table. Come, let us meet in this place with the king of all kindness who welcomes us in with the wonder of love and the power of grace. The wonder of love and the power of grace. The invitation this morning is to respond to the wonder of love and the power of his grace. Let's pray together. Lord, I have to confess this morning that um, sometimes, maybe too often, I can be just like those Pharisees. Getting in the way of others experiencing the goodness of God because of my agenda, because of my sense of self-importance. Lord, I realize too often I can be like those Pharisees as well where my sense of security is rooted in everything and everyone other than Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry. And Lord, I choose afresh this morning and just invite brothers and sisters, friends gathered here today, invite you to choose as well for yourself to make a fresh commitment to Jesus today. He proclaims this incredible good news that we can experience the wonder of God's love 
and the power of his grace. just want to really simply this morning, I'm just going to pray a prayer and I want to invite you this morning to make this your own prayer of recommitment to Jesus if you're trusting him afresh. But it might be this morning that you're trusting Jesus for the first time. I just want to invite you just in the quietness of your own heart to pray this prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the wonder of your love. I thank you for the power of your grace. That brings me forgiveness from my sin. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you invite me. I thank you that you welcome me. Even though I don't deserve a place at your great banqueting table. And this morning, Lord, I say yes to your invitation. I say yes with all the promises that that brings. And I choose to live with you. And I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.